This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. There's a guy in Waterloo, Iowa, David Kelly, who is a big fan of this program, Theater of the Mind, but his absolute favorite is Nightbeat. Now, David's written me many times commenting on how he admires the acting chops of Frank Lovejoy, the star who portrayed Randy Stone, a reporter who covered the Nightbeat for the Chicago Star. And in his travels in the dark of night, he encounters criminals, eccentrics, and troubled souls. Listeners were invited to join Stone as he searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Most episodes lean towards suspense, crime, and thriller themes, but Nightbeat also featured occasional humorous or sentimental stories. Each episode ended with Stone at his desk as he finished typing a news story based on his latest exploits and shouting for the copyboy to deliver the story to an editor. Frank Lovejoy isn't remembered by many today, but he was a powerful and believable actor with a very strong delivery. And his portrayal of Randy Stone as the tough guy with humanity, I think, was pretty perfect. The scripts were excellent, given that they had to cover much in a short time. And there was a good supporting cast, too. Orchestra plus sound effects. So tonight, we hear the episode simply entitled, They. Frank Lovejoy in... Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Only tonight it was too hot to cover anything, and I mean anything. It was too hot for wife killings, gangland murders, and such nonsense. Nobody had energy for much more than to wave a soggy newspaper back and forth in front of his face. And the standard reply to the standard question, what's cooking, was a dull me. Around 10 o'clock, with no story in sight, I checked in with the office, and the switchbird girl sounded like the last rose of last summer, but... She managed to inform me that Mr. Baker, the night editor, wanted words with me. As she wearily connected me, I dug out my handkerchief and blotted the back of my neck. Stone? Yeah? Climb in your old jalopy and take her right out to the insane asylum. Have they got air conditioning? No, I'm serious. There's a report that a half a dozen police cars are parked near the entrance. I called the check, but the switchboard doesn't answer. Meet it out there, Randy. <laughs> I headed for the outskirts of town, and soon I was approaching my destination. I guess the way the world's been spinning around, a lot of people are getting lost in the fog because this place was really big. Half a dozen huge buildings spread out across acres of green land and a mighty high fence running all the way around. 
But even while I was still blocks away, I knew something was wrong. Because though it was only around 10 o'clock, in all those buildings there wasn't one light burning. I drove up to the gate, and yet there were police cars, and the police sergeant with a red flashlight signaled me to a stop. What's your business, cousin? I'm a newspaper man, Randy Stone of the Star. They're not buying any newspapers tonight. Got all the newspapers they need. Oh, fine. Now you and your flashlight step aside, and I'll go on in. No one goes in, no one goes out. Orders, cousin. Now you get on that gate phone, cousin, and tell the superintendent the press is pounding at the walls. And if I don't get in, I'm going back to town and invent a story. When I start inventing, sometimes I just never stop. Well, I Go ahead, think... cousin. When the Sarge hung up the phone, he swung open the gates and waved me in with his pretty red flashlight, saying that I was to go right on to the administration building. As I drove up the curved roadway, I saw little shafts of light moving through the darkness all over the place, but still no lights anyplace else. I parked in front of the administration building and was met by a man also carrying a flashlight. That man, this is my name, a public relations officer. Oh, uh, what's going on here? It's rather embarrassing, you know. I'm quite sure they'll find him any minute now. Find who? Uh, the superintendent thinks it would be best if you talk to Fogarty. Oh. This way, please. Right in here. The first aid room. Easy, Doc. Mm -hmm. Easy, easy with the head. Uh, this chap, having his head bandaged. Fogarty, this is Mr. Stone, a newspaper reporter. But I thought... Uh... Well, the superintendent feels it's pointless to try and hide the facts any longer. Oh. They caught Captain Bob yet? They expect to any moment. I take it one of the inmates has escaped. Oh, no, no, not really. He's still on the grounds. That's what we don't want. No alarming story about an escaped maniac. Maniac, yeah. Hey, Doc, Doc, easy with a bandage. Hard to work with just a flashlight. <sighs> Captain Bob, that kills me, absolutely kills me. He's the unofficial mayor of this place, a real veteran. <laughs> Once he even applied for hash marks at service stores. And then to blow his top like this, hey, Easy, Doc, will you? Almost finished. I don't know. A huge man with the mind of a child. A gentle giant, you might say. <laughs> gentle. Uh, what caused the blow-up? What caused it? Yeah. That's a reasonable question. We took away his brown sugar. His, uh, his which? He kept it in his footlocker for his oatmeal. Well, they were afraid of roaches, you know, so they kept asking him to turn it in. Today they got tired of him ignoring them. So they sent me around for it. This way among us. He was all by himself in a warden. This giant of a man. Sitting on his bed in his gym shoes and his red bathrobe. Captain Bob. Captain Bob. Splendid. That was splendid. Wasn't that splendid, Fogarty? Yeah, sure. Now, you, you know, it's all in the diaphragm. It's right down here, the diaphragm, you see. Yeah, how many times did I tell him? Enrico, if you only breathe properly and forgot the chicken... Open your footlocker, Captain. And why? The brown sugar. It's got to go. Roll gently. Okay. Okay, I'll open it myself. 
hold it. Uh, down goes the lid. Now, goodbye, Mr. Fogarty. Look, I got my orders. Roger Stop that racket, will you? They gave me orders to take that sugar. Repeat that slowly, Mr. Fogarty. I said they gave me orders. They gave you orders. They again. They know that brown sugar is the very essence of my power, so they must take it away from me. Now, come on, Captain Bob. How long ago was it that they decided I could no longer have my fine gold-leaf tobacco plug? And wasn't it only last year that they made me shave my beard? Walt used to say to me, Walt Whitman, that is, Sure, mine's a decent sort of beard, but yours, Captain Bob, why, yours is pure silk. And they made me shave it. Cap, you're getting all excited. It's too hot to get excited. I've sat back. I've bided my time. I've waited. And now I wait no longer. Cap, Hands off of me, Fogarty. Cap, sit down. No. No. Don't make me use the nightstick. I never used it yet. I never want to. Yeah, but I want to. Now give it to me. Now look out. Get away from me. The nightstick. No. You must. You must. You must. There our struck. Their hour is struck. Their hour is struck. Their hour has struck. That's the last thing in the world I heard. Then I woke up down here. I understand he's really raised Kane, broke into the power station, banged up the generator. <laughs> Captain Bob. You just don't figure. Well, I, I don't suppose that one guy with a nightstick is going to do too much damage. Uh, well, it's not quite that simple. No? He took the nightstick and overpowered an armed guard. And now he has a gun. Oh, fine. And that's why we've gone to such great lengths to protect the place. Uh, I'll answer. Uh, this, uh, this they that he Get speaks up. of, he uh, must mean the authorities here, is that it? Oh, I don't think so. At least he hasn't tried to harm any of them. And with that gun, he could do a pretty good job. Well, then, who is the, uh, the they? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I see. That was one of the guards. The superintendent saw your car and raised the roof. Well, he told me I could come in. Yes, but not the car. He wants nothing on the grounds that could possibly be used by Captain Bob for an escape. He wants you to remove the car immediately. You can park it in the parking area outside the wall. I went on out and started driving back down the road to the gate. The little groups with flashlights were still scattered all about hunting for Captain Bob. But who was Captain Bob hunting for? My friend, the police sergeant, was still at the gate with his little red flashlight, again signaling me to stop. You again, cousin? I'm just going to park the car. Be right back. What's that supposed to be? Good news? Well, go on. I passed the squad car scattered all over the place. The parking area was just ahead, and I started turning into it. I suddenly felt a metallic pressure on my neck, the barrel of a gun. Just keep going down the highway, my boy, and everything will be Jim Dandy. I could see him in the rearview mirror, bright eyes under shaggy gray brows, a bald head and a full pink face, and even bigger than they had described him. Yes, I had myself a first-class passenger, the one and only Captain Bob. 
No, isn't it a mortal sin the way old Captain Bob twisted them all around his little finger? Huh? Yeah, mental power. You know, ten ounces of brain tissue can move mountains, dry oceans, fill the sky with fire. Yeah, ten ounces, sure, but uh, me, I'm stuck with about half a gram falling for a gag like that. Uh, where'd you call from? One of the other offices, keeping my voice very low, very official. The superintendent insists that the car be moved at once. <laughs> Ellen used to... I used to say to Ellen, you're the, the, the famous actress, Ellen Drew, you know. Uh-huh. Ellen, you must always remember, live the part. If you're supposed to be an oyster stew, then become an oyster stew. Make it so real, the people get heartburn. <laughs> Captain Bob, she would reply in that sweet, gentle voice, what would I do without you? Well, that's very interesting. Uh, now that you've outsmarted all the guards, uh, what's the next step? Uh, to ruthlessly hunt down and exterminate humanity's greatest enemy. Which is who? Well, they. They? Well, who else? Those scavengers, those ravagers. I, I really don't care about myself. I, I've lived my years. I'm an old man. Yeah. Heavy with honor and with time. Uh, Aristophanes. Uh-huh. Of course, you know, I'm quite insane. Uh, no. Oh, yes, yes. So it doesn't matter about me. It's the others. Oh, what they have done to poor suffering humanity. I've heard the talk. Oh, yes, surely I have. You know, of course, I can hear quite distinctly for a distance of some 2,300 miles. Really? Oh, certainly, with the, the proper atmospheric conditions. Ah. And very often, late at night, I lie there in my bed listening to the people talking in, oh, San Francisco and Houston and Memphis and uh, Upper New York State and such places. Uh -huh. And what do I hear? They are causing prices to rise sky high. They buy more than they need. They hoard in their basements. They patronize the black market. They are so selfish, so thoughtless, they may bring on inflation and wipe out the savings and pensions of millions of innocent people. That's what I hear. I see. And this I hear. They certainly elect some shabby politicians. But what can you expect? Most of the time, they don't even bother to vote. If they don't use some judgment, they'll wreck the country. They again, you see that? Uh, yes, I see it. Yes, and I hear talk about war, too. They fell asleep again. If they don't wake up and prepare, civilization itself will go under, and they'll be to blame. They. They, 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 they do this and they do that. All the evil and suffering in the world, they are responsible for. They. Well... Then isn't it all rather simple? Old Captain Bob's going to do the world one final service. He's going to find these they and shoot them down like dogs. That sounds like a reasonable idea. Yes, of course. Of course. I uh, saw your sign on your license plate. You're a newspaper man. Huh? Uh-huh. Well, then you must know where they live. You'll be able to bring me to them, huh? Well, I, I suppose so, but it might take a long time, Cap. Oh, you better not take any longer than from now till 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Why? Well, I 
have to be back at the asylum by then for for breakfast. I see. Mrs. Turner, the cook, she takes great pains preparing the oatmeal to my complete satisfaction. Oh, well, in that case... Why are you turning the car around? Well, that's all the time we got. Let's call it off for tonight and get a, an early start tomorrow evening, say, uh, around six. I see. Now you've decided to trick Captain Bob. No, no, not at all. But if you're expected for breakfast... Pull over to the curb. I'm not trying to trick at you. At the present angle of my gun, the bullet should enter your skull at the basal juncture. You will lose consciousness within one second, be dead within three. Uh, okay. Uh, you talked me into it. All right, now turn off the engine. Yep. Oh, it was a mistake to tell you I was insane. Now you think I'm on a harmless old fool, don't well, not you? Not at all. Oh, of course you do, but I'm not harmless, sir. I need your help, so I suppose I must convince you that I'll not hesitate to use this gun if you force me. I believe you. Oh, no, of course you don't. A strange weapon, is it not? A chunk of ore twisted into a vulgar shape, yet it's made man supreme. Oh, now, come on, put down the gun, Captain. Shooting me won't help you. Who said anything about you, my boy? Observe. Look, pointing it at your hand. Don't! <coughs> well, you've torn away half your finger. <coughs> That's all right. I have others. Let me use this handkerchief as a tourniquet. <coughs> no trickery. No now. trickery. Now, come on, here. <coughs> Okay. Now I've got to pull it tight. All right, all right now. That's better. What a thing to do. Now you understand how serious I am about this. Yeah. Obviously, if I can use the gun on myself, I wouldn't hesitate to use the gun on you. If I felt you were trying to fool me. Obviously. So take me into the city. And let's hunt the rascals down. Yeah. One thing more, sir. Yeah? There can be trickery by omission. If you think you can drive me around in meaningless circles, well, let me hasten to assure you that if we haven't found them by breakfast, well, then I know you fool me. And I will kill you. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. Tonight, your dial is set for adventure with Inspector Thorne and Mr. Keene, tracer of lost persons. This evening, actor Carl Weber comes to the NBC microphone as the fast-moving police investigator known as Inspector Thorne. Then later, Mr. Keene, tracer of lost persons, brings you the hard-hitting story of the poison sandwich murder case. Back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. It was after one o'clock and I was driving through the Chicago streets, block after deserted block. The neon that never went to sleep, still shouting its multicolored messages to empty sidewalks. Past long rows of warehouses, wearily leaning one against the other, and through narrow cobblestone streets. 
driving purposefully like I had nothing but jumbo-sized plans while actually I didn't even have a small pocket-sized idea. And Captain Bob in the back seat with his gun growing more impatient all the time. And now it was almost 2 a.m. And in my mind's eye, I saw the good cook, what's-her-name, sleeping soundly and just a few hours away from starting the captain's oatmeal. And now we were getting close to the loop. I turned off Ashland Avenue to cross the bridge spanning the Chicago River. And at the other side of the bridge, I saw a most wonderful sight. Two police cars blocking the way, their red warning lights blinking angrily. Turn around quickly, my boy. And suddenly in the rear view mirror, I saw still another police car swing in behind us. We were caught on the bridge, trapped like a butterfly on a half dozen spears of light. Well, now what, Captain Bob? I'm turning the matter over in my mind. That you, Strong? Right. All right. Close in slowly, man. Mr. Stone, tell them how comfortable this gun feels against your head. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant, take it easy. Captain Bob has sort of got me covered. Captain Bob, can you hear me? (laughs) Can I hear him? I've heard Brisbane, Australia on a very calm night. Can I hear him? You hear me, Captain Bob? He hears you, but he's not impressed. Cap, what do you want them to do? Clear off the bridge so we can get on with our chore. It's getting late. Look, Cap, I'm going to be frank with you. And if you want to pull the trigger, well, my insurance is paid up. Well, what is it, my boy? I don't have any idea where they may be. Ah. Oh, it's true. But you take the lieutenant now, it's his job to know those things. I bet he could tell us where they are just like that. All right. Call him over and ask him. No, 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 we can't do it that way. If he knows that you want to find out about they just to kill them, why, he'll never tell us. Well, why not, for goodness sake? Well, he just won't. He's a funny guy. That so? Way. Well, so let me go over and talk to him. You know, con him around, wheedle it out of him. You, you think you can, my boy? Yes, I think so. I've, I've known him for many years. He's not very bright. Oh, I, I could tell that from his voice. He does all this talking from his jowls. So I'll go over and ask him, huh? You, uh... You wouldn't be fooling an old man with a sore finger. Scout's honor, Captain. All right, call that young policeman over there, the one that's leaning on the fender of the squat car. Oh, him? Oh. Oh, him. He's an old cousin of mine. Yeah, call him over if you want to talk to the lieutenant. All right. Hey, Sarge. Me? Yeah, come on over. Are you nuts or something? Send him over, lieutenant. Sergeant, go on. Cousin, the minute I saw you tonight, I knew I'd have been better off with typhoid. Uh, both of us. Now, I tell you what I'd like for you to do, young man. You just lean your head in through the window. What is this? Do what he says. I've got to go talk to the lieutenant. Now we take the gun from Mr. Stone's head and place it against yours. Hey. All right, Mr. Stone, go to your conference. The... Dashboard clock says seven minutes after two. If you've not returned by ten minutes after two, this unfortunate young man will meet with sudden disaster. Stone, I don't like this. Uh, No one could blame you, cousin. 
I started walking across the bridge to the lieutenant's patrol car, a long string of coal barges was slithering slowly by on the greasy waters far below. Now, whatever unknown radar wakens people out of a sound sleep and sends them running to disaster was already at work. Both ends of the bridge were lined with the curious, and most of the police officers were busy keeping them at a distance. Lieutenant Boyle stood beside his squad car. Uh, Lieutenant, tell me, how did you find out that he was with me? The sergeant, oh. after you left to park your car and didn't come back, he started wondering. Checked and found it had been a phony call. It added up. We've been trying to corner you all night. What are you going to do with that character? Well, we've got one problem, and it's how to make him use up those bullets in his gun. Yeah. Well, now, look, i got a crazy thought. It might work. If it doesn't, well, it's my funeral, and as the little joke goes, that's not a figure of speech. All right. What is it? Uh, you know where the river view is? Yeah, that amusement park on the west side? Yeah. What are we going to do, ride the merry-go-round? Everything is closed up this time of the night, but see if you can get them to cooperate with you. Captain Bob is looking for something he calls they. Don't ask me to go into that. There's no time. But if we work this... Welcome back, my boy. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I was telling this lad here that those barges reminded me of my river days on the Mississippi. He seemed distinctly uninterested. I can't imagine why. All right, now point the gun at him. Yeah, right in the old basal junction. Uh, that's, that's it. Cousin, I was really sweating you out. Uh, believe me, I was tempted to start walking. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, goodbye now. Did you get the information, my boy? Well, you know something? Uh, you ought to circle this date with a red pencil cap. What? This is your lucky night. Oh? They are all together under one roof. What? Having a meeting. Oh, doubtlessly plotting some new devil. Sure, but I know exactly where they are. Oh, this is grand news. Well, the police are leaving. Well, sure. I, I told them you were going to go back to the institution like a good, solid citizen. And so I shall. When I'm finished. But now, to the task ahead. Yeah, to the, uh, to the task ahead. It was 2.45 a.m. when we pulled up before the darkened amusement park. The Ferris wheels silhouetted against the dark sky and the empty seats creaking just a little as though worn out from generations of screaming children. The towering wooden structure of the Super Bobs, dipping and rising gracefully in the night. The fun house and the merry-go-round and the tunnel of love all sealed up. A wilderness of potential joy, but now very quiet and painfully lonely. An amusement park where no one was being amused. We walked down the boardwalk, Captain Bob gun in hand, and Randy Stone hard in the mouth. A strange place for they to be meeting, my boy. Well, wouldn't they pick such a place knowing that no one would ever think of looking for them here? Well, well of course. Oh, the treachery of them. It's just ahead now. That little building there. Yes, yes. Oh, the dream of a lifetime reaching fruition. It's all boarded up, but you can see the lights gleaming through the cracks. Yes, yes. Now, here is what you've got to remember, Cap. Huh? There'll be many, many of them. 
They're all armed and they're on guard. I do not fear. No, no, but you want to get as many as you can. Oh, yes, indeed, indeed. Okay, now keep your voice down. Now, you've got to start shooting the instant you go through that door and keep shooting as fast as you can. Yes. That is, if you can shoot fast. Well, trust me, he will not be able to separate the sound of the shots. All right. Good luck. Uh, my boy, thank you. Will you shake my hand? Of course. You've been a loyal ally. The time will come when children will sing folk songs in your honor. Your statue will stand in public parks. Yeah, now, look, I'm going to tear open the door and you rush in and start shooting. Yes, yes. Ready, set, go. After that, things happened rapidly. The park, which had seemed so empty now, suddenly filled with police all running toward me. And behind them came the swarms of citizens again, coming in all directions, attracted by the shots. Right, good work, Stone. Get the door open, boys. Bring them out. Through the open door, I looked in on the house of mirrors. Most of the mirrors were shattered now, just bits of glass hanging from the walls. And Captain Bob, the empty gun, hanging limply in his hand, still looking at the wreckage, dazedly realizing at last that he'd been shooting at his own reflections. Come on, old-timer, let's get going. Easy with him, boy. Yep. That's it, easy. And now the entrance to the house of mirrors was jammed with people craning their necks for a look. Step aside, give us room, come on. Move aside, folks, it's all over. Go on home. Come on now, one side. And while the police tried to clear a path through the crowd, for a moment or so, Captain Bob and I stood face to face. Oh, you tricked me after all, my boy. It's a cruel blow. Captain Bob didn't expect that of you. Come on, all of you. Move when I tell you. One side. Okay, Cap. Let's go. You tricked me. You shouldn't have done that to me, my boy. You just don't understand. And then he was gone. He was back home in plenty of time for his oatmeal without brown sugar. But even after they took old Captain Bob away, somehow the people still hung around the doorway of the House of Mirrors just in case there might be something else to see. Their faces reflected endlessly in the broken mirrors. All kinds of faces. Fat, lean, bright, dull, high and cheekbones, low cheekbones, square chins, no chins, white faces, black faces, endless faces. Millions of faces reflected again and again and again in the mirrors. And gradually it dawned on me that perhaps I hadn't tricked Captain Bob after all. I guess I had brought him to the right place. Because, of course, there's no big mystery about it. These were the they, all right. That's us, all of us. But if they are responsible for the bad, they are also responsible for the good. Actually, when you got right down to it, 
to end all the injustices that so angered Captain Bob, they need learn only one thing more, that they are the children of God and that each of them is his brother's keeper. Oh, what a night. Uh, uh, one copy boy, one ice bag, and two aspirins. Huh? Stay tuned for The Life of Riley next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for William Bendix to climb into the overalls of a riveter in an aircraft plant. Sounds like he's going to be wearing a different outfit very shortly. That of a cop. It's new. It's amazing. It's Prell. P-R-E-L-L. Procter & Gamble's new radiant cream shampoo in the handy tube. Prell brings you the life of Riley. The shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff in as little as three minutes and leaves hair radiantly clean, radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Tonight, Mr. and Mrs. Chester A. Riley have as their dinner guest young Al Miller. And once again, Riley is proving that despite his few minor faults, he is a generous soul. Yes, Riley believes that it's far better to give than to receive. Al, my boy, let me give you some free advice. What's that, Mr. Riley? If I was a young man like you, engaged to be married... Oh, are you engaged, Al? Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Peg, I was following a train of thought. Kindly don't derail my mind. <laughs> Sorry, dear Take my advice, Al If I was a young man like you looking for a career I'd take $50,000 and invest it in oil That's the thing, oil Good idea, huh? Sure, but where will I get the $50,000? Well, from the girl you're going to marry, of course <laughs> Joni, she works in the drugstore for 22 a week Oh, you're marrying for love, like I did Well, tough luck, kid <laughs> Oh, why, Al, don't you listen to him We didn't have a cent when we got married And, and today, 17 years later, we're dead broke <laughs> But if we had to do it all over again, we would uh, Speak for yourself, Peg Oh, you just like to pretend you're a big cynic. Okay, you got me. I love you, Dumplin'. <laughs> the thing is, if I could only get a good, steady job, but I can't make up my mind what I want to do. Well, I had the same trouble when I quit school, kept looking and looking for the right job, but I just couldn't find it. So I did the smart thing. I quit looking. <laughs> and your mother supported you. Yes, but not for long, only till I was 22. <laughs> then you married me and took me off her hands. Oh, <laughs> Oh, wait, I didn't mean that. I, I meant that's when I got a good job. Remember, Peg, when I joined the police force? I remember. Were you a policeman? Was I a policeman? The best. Take my advice, Al. You join the force and forget this idiotic idea about oil. Oh, well, I never thought of being a policeman. Why, it can be the beginning to a big career. Take Mayor O'Dwyer of New York. Bill and me joined the force at the same time. No kidding. Yeah. And look where O'Dwyer is today. And look where I am to... Look where O'Dwyer is today. Well, it's an idea. Let me tell you about when I was a cop, Al. Uh, Riley, maybe you'd better not. <laughs> Peg don't like me to brag how terrific I was. Okay, I'll be modest. Peg, you tell him. Well, I... In the meantime, I'll go down to the corner and buy some ice cream. That pie we ate for dessert will taste good a la mode. I won't be long. 
You know, maybe Mr. Riley's got some. Well, Al, before you make up your mind, maybe I better tell you what kind of policeman Riley was. Oh, I bet he was great. Well, anyway, we both lived in Brooklyn in those days. Riley and I just met. Almost every night he'd come over to my house and sit on the front stoop. I remember one night... Oh, is that you there? It's so dark, I thought you were the ash can. <laughs> My, you're late, Chester. Yeah, I stopped off and I bought you a little something. Oh, Chester. <laughs> Marshmallows. <laughs> Six pounds. Six pounds? Yeah, yeah, it was a great bargain. I got them at a fire sale. You won't even have to toast them. Chester, you know you can't afford it on the allowance your mother gives you. Oh, yes, I can. I can afford it now. Today, I got the break I was waiting for. Chester, you got a job. No, my mother got a raise. (laughs) Oh, why can't you be more ambitious? When are you going to get a real steady job and make a success of yourself? Like, like Hugo Hawkinson. Hugo Hawkinson. That Williamsburg Weisenheimer. Well, you have to give Hugo credit. After all, he's got a good job in my father's store. Uh, so what? I could be working for your father, too, if he didn't hate the sight of me. <laughs> Honest, Peggy, I'm ambitious. I just don't get the breaks. Oh, you will. You'll see. Keep plugging, Chester. And no matter how many times you're disappointed, just remember there's one woman who believes in you. Yeah. Good old mom. <laughs> Chester, I, I meant... Margaret? My father. Are you down there, Margaret? Yes, Papa. Who's that with you? He doesn't know it's me. Send that big baboon home. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> uh, hello, Mr. Barker. So it is you. Margaret, how many times have I told you I don't want that lazy, shiftless, good-for-nothing loafer hanging around here? Now beat it, you bum. i better go, Peggy, before your father gets mad. <laughs> well... Good night, Chester. Good night. It's been fun. Still here, are you? Oh, now, yes. Papa, go please. Go upstairs, Margaret, and go to bed. It's 10 o'clock. That's for you. Get out of here, you... You what? Okay, Mr. Barker. You may think I'm a wart now, but you'll see. Someday I'll grow on you. <laughs> oh, it's Hugo. Well, greetings and salutations, folks. And how are you, tall, dark, and gruesome? Now, wait a minute, Hawkinson. You can't talk about Peggy that way. <laughs> I meant you, sweetheart. Oh, lucky for you, you took it back. What do you say, friends? How about a little spin through Prospect Park? Well, no, thanks, Hugo. Good I... idea, Hugo. Get in, Margaret. But, Papa, Get you... in. But, Mr. Barker, you said she's got to go to bed. Beat it, Riley. Get in, Margaret. Ah, listen to that motor. All set, folks? Now, wait a minute, Hugo. I'm going home. Could you drop... Sorry, Ironhead. I'll drop you some other time. When I'm crossing a bridge. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's a good one, you go. Good night, Chester. <laughs> Listen to them laugh. Like a couple of hyenas. Someday I'll laugh at them. They're forgetting. The hyena who laughs last laughs best. <laughs> Oh, 
And then afterwards, Mom, all three of them drove off in that Hugo's car. I know, son. I know just how you feel. Oh, what's the matter with me, Mom? Why can't I get a job? Chester, dear, maybe you're going at this the wrong way. Maybe you're not cut out for business. You mean I ain't smart enough, Mom? Oh, no, no, darling. It's not that. It's just that, well, you're too honest. Oh, but I could learn to be crooked. (laughs) I'll study hard, Mom. Oh, no, no. I mean, there are other kinds of jobs, you know. I've been thinking about it, and, well, how would you like to be a policeman? A cop? Like Pop was? I spoke to Lieutenant Harris at the precinct today. He says if you apply for the force, he'll put in a good word for you, for your father's sake. Gee, a cop. Say, I bet if I was a cop, Peg's father would respect me. And Peggy, you know, girls are crazy about uniforms. The first time I saw your father, he was in uniform. That was love at first sight. No kidding. When was that, Mom? The day he arrested me. (laughs) I was one of them marching suffragettes. Gee, if I could get on the force, boy, I bet I'd look great in a uniform. You'd look wonderful. Your father's uniform is hanging right here in the closet. Try it on. Can I? Oh, boy, thanks, Mom. Here's the coat. Yeah, well, where's the hat? Uh, Here. Oh, there. Well, how do I look, Mom? Uh, Chester, do you think maybe you'd rather be a fireman? (laughs) All right, you rookies. Today we're going to take up a problem in homicide. Wake up, Riley. Oh, uh, yes, sir, Lieutenant. Sorry. Now, here's the problem. You arrive at the scene of the crime, and there you find the body of a man with a bullet hole through his heart. How would you determine if the man was alive or dead? I'd watch him. If he phoned for a doctor, I'd figure he was alive. <laughs> I mean, if he... I, 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 what was the question? All right, squad, line up. Aim carefully at the target and fire three times in succession. If you hit the bullseye, the bell will ring. Ready? Ferguson. O'Dwyer. Goldberg. Riley. I guess I missed the bullseye. You missed the target. When are you going to learn to shoot? Riley, I bet you'd miss if you tried to put a bullet through your own head. I bet you I wouldn't. Look, Riley! I... You, you wanted to see me, Lieutenant? Yes, Riley. The results of the final exam just came through here. Congratulations, Riley. You passed. I passed? No, it can't be. There must be a mistake. No, no. You passed, all right. You barely made it, but you passed. I passed. It's a miracle. Yippee! I... Well, you're not kidding me, Lieutenant. No. That uniform you've got on is permanent. And I hope you're half the policeman your father was before you. Oh, I'll try very hard. Oh, boy, I'm a cop. Can I go now, Lieutenant? I want to tell my mother. Sure. And then I want to tell my girl. She don't even know I joined the force. Boy, wait till she sees me in this uniform, twirling my nightstick. I'll knock her eye out. (laughs) Peggy! Peggy, wait for me! Wait, Peggy! Peggy! 
Well, Peggy, how do I look? Why, Chester Riley, what on earth? Surprised, huh? Well, Chester, tonight isn't Halloween. <laughs> oh, well, you, you don't like it. Well, I think it's a very comical costume. Whose is it? Peg, this ain't a costume. I'm a real policeman. I joined the force. You didn't? Yeah. Well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I wanted to surprise you, but I, I didn't expect you'd think I was comical. Oh, but I don't, Chester. I think you look handsome. Honest? Honest. And I'm so proud of you. I told you it'd make good. Well, I didn't check, but I will. If I get the right break. M maybe I'll surprise some crook robbing a bank and he'll fill me full of slugs. Oh, I got a great future. Oh, Chester. Now you got me worried. Oh, there's nothing to worry about. At the academy, they teach you how to take care of yourself. Jiu-jitsu. I can throw anybody with jiu-jitsu. Uh, look, I'll show you, Peggy. Oh, no. Chester. Let go of my hand. No, well, oh, I, don't, I, Chester. I... Oh, Chester, get up. <laughs> you dirty your new uniform. Oh, yeah, well, anyway, you, you, you get the idea, Peg. Oh, I just can't believe you're a policeman. How did it happen? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. My, my, hey, it's starting to rain. We, we better go inside. Oh, we can't. My father's home. Oh, I'm not worried about him now. Wait till he sees me in this uniform. Margaret, who's down there with you? It's me, the baboon. <laughs> Riley, I'm coming right now. Oh, Chester, you better go. Oh, it'll be okay. It was too dark for him to see my uniform. Riley, I told you to stay away from my daughter. But, Mr. Barker, look at me. I warned you not to hang around here. Look at me. I told you if I caught you here again. Please, look at me. Beat it before I call a cop. But, Mr. Barker, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. Look at my bed. You, you... Good grief, you are a cop. Now we're in for a crime wave. <laughs> but, Mr. Barker, I'm... Come inside, Margaret. Papa, no. Hurry up, it's raining. As for you, Riley, stay away from my daughter or I'll yank that club out of your hand and beat the daylights out of you. Gee, I guess nobody thinks much of me as a cop. Well, I don't care. I know someone who does. My pop, up there in heaven. I bet right now he's looking down at me... <laughs> Papa, you too! <laughs> and now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Mrs. Riley is telling the story of Riley's adventures on the police force in his younger days before the Rileys were married. So you see how it was, Al. Even being a policeman didn't help Riley much with my father. Yeah, but I guess everything worked out okay in the end. Well, depends on how you look at it. I remember one night my father and Hugo Hawkinson were putting up some bars on the window of Papa's store. You see, there'd been a lot of burglaries in the neighborhood, and Papa had just got in a new shipment of furs. There, how's that, Mr. Barker? Fine, Hugo, fine. I better test the burglar alarm. Works perfect. Nobody will break in now, Papa. I got some more bars. Oh, no, that's plenty, Hugo. With the burglar alarm and a policeman on the beat, the store will be safe. Hello there, folks. Chester. Oh, great news. I was just assigned to this beat. Hugo, put up more bars. <laughs> what a city. I ask headquarters for protection, and they send me this. 
We may as well phone the crooks to come and help themselves. Oh, shut up, Hugo. That's telling them, Peggy. I'm calling up the commissioner. I want a real cop. Oh, Papa, why can't you give Chester a chance? Oh, please, you can trust him. Sure you can. I swear I won't steal any furs. <laughs> well, all right, Riley. With that face, maybe you've got watchdog blood. You watch my store. Oh, you can stop worrying. I ain't a rookie anymore. I made my first arrest today. Oh, that's wonderful, Chester. Who? Bertha Frendelkraut. She threw a dead cat in Dingle's Bakery. What? Why, she's only three years old. Yeah, but she's strong for her age. <laughs> I'm calling the commissioner. Oh, no, Papa. Now you said you'd give Chester a chance. Why get him into trouble? Oh, all right. But remember, Riley, don't you take your eyes off this place. Never mind the other stores. Just watch mine. Oh, don't you worry. I'll watch it like a hawk. The only way a crook will break in will be over my dead body. And then I'll resign. <laughs> Gee, I wish I knew what that noise was. That's very suspicious. Oh, it stopped. There it is again. Maybe it's... Oh, it's my shoes. Uh, I guess I can put my gun back. What's that? Oh, oh, that's just a baby upstairs over the store. I guess I can put my gun back. Well, why don't somebody pick it up? It's terrible to let a baby cry like that. Gee. Listen for that kid cry. Why don't his mother pick... Hey, maybe there's nobody up there. Maybe they went out and left it all alone. Oh, that's awful. When I have a baby, I'll never leave him high and dry. <laughs> well, it's none of my business. I gotta watch this store. <laughs> Gee, it sounds like it's choking. I can't stand this. I'm going up. It's in here. There, don't cry, baby. It's all right now, Riley. Riley's here. There, Poor little baby, way be. I left you all alone. You mustn't touch my badge. It'll stick you. We don't want you to get hurt. Oh. oh, you want something to play with? Well, here, you, you play with this, Riley Wiley's nice, pretty gun. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at that cute little fella putting the barrel in his mouth. <laughs> he thinks it's a bottle. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, 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 mustn't pull the trigger. It's loaded. And it's... <laughs> I did load it. Give back the gun. No, no, well, no, I got it. No, dear, dear. No, no, no. Now, go to sleep now. Riley Wiley will sing you a pretty little lullaby. La, yeah. Now, let's see. Uh, hold that tiger. Hold that tiger. Hold that tiger. Hold that tiger. Over there, across the street, that's a joint, Lefty. Say, that looks like a pipe. Old man Barker's store, huh? Yeah. Just got in a new shipment of furs. How do we get in? Come on, there's a little window on the side. All we gotta do is jimmy it and climb in. Hold that tiger. Hold that tiger. Hold the... Oh. Oh, he's asleep at last. Whew, what a job. Now, if I can only sneak out and get back to the store. 
Exactly what happened, Officer Riley? Uh, yeah, yes, sir, Lieutenant. Exactly where were you when the robbery was committed? I was minding a baby. A uh, baby? Uh, but it was crying, Mister. Fine, Police Department. I demand that you kick this idiot off the force. Now take it easy. Papa, don't get excited. Don't get excited. Fifteen hundred dollars worth of skunk fur is gone. I'll make it good. I'll pay you back. How are you going to pay back fifteen hundred dollars? Fifty cents a week. Just be patient. Why, you... Now, 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 Mr. Barker, let's be Don't little... Mr. Barker me, Lieutenant. I'm going to the commissioner about this. But, Mr. Barker... Come I... on, Margaret. Peggy. Peggy, wait. You ain't mad at me, are you? Oh, Margaret, my... I forbid you to speak to this lummox again. Say you're not mad, Peggy. Not one word. Yes, Papa. Well, Riley... <laughs> I'll have to send in a report. I'm afraid you may be forced to... Oh, it's all right. They won't have to force me. Here's my badge, Lieutenant. I'm sorry, son. I wanted you to make good for your father's sake. He was a fine man. Yeah. He was a fine man, all right. Almost perfect. He only made one mistake in his life. Me. A disgrace. Kicked off the force. I lose every job. I wonder if I'll ever get into a permanent position. I can guarantee it. <laughs> Who's that? It is I, Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. Oh, hello, Digger. Greetings, Riley. You're looking fine. Very natural. Digger, I'm in trouble. A couple of crooks robbed a store on my beat. They stole 20 skunk furs right from under my nose. Oh, I detest lawbreakers. Once a hold-up man came into my business establishment, pushed a gun into my ribs and said, Act like you're working, Odell. Well, what did you do? I laid him out. <laughs> well, these crooks got away. And the worst of it is, it's Mr. Barker's store. Now he's going around calling me all kinds of names, throwing dirt in my face. It happens to everyone sooner or later. <laughs> I could even stand that, but you see, Peg, well, she wouldn't even talk to me. She don't even know I'm alive. According to my records, she's wrong. <laughs> oh, it's terrible, Digger, just awful. You see, well, I love her. Ah, love, the grand passion. It often leads to disaster. I once knew a young couple madly in love. They bought a new Essex. Said he, I'll drive, dear. Said she, I'll drive, dear. One word led to another. Then he took a gun and said, I'll do the driving. She took an axe and said, I'll do the driving. Well, what happened? I did the driving. <laughs> but I just can't stop loving her, Digger. You want her back? Yeah. Then don't let her see how she's hurt you. Show her you don't care. Act as if she's homely and stupid. Oh, do you think that'll work, Digger? I'm positive it will. And you know me. 
I generally hit the nail on the head. <laughs> well, cheerio, I'd better be shoveling off. <laughs> It was true, Mrs. Riley. Somebody did leave that poor baby alone. Of course, my Chester wouldn't lie. Oh, I don't care if Daddy was robbed. I think babies are more important than some old skunks. Well, you should know your father best. <laughs> Peggy, you're very fond of my boy, aren't you? Well, yes. I... Oh, I've just got to see him. He must think I'm awful. Now, don't you worry about it. But what'll he think? The big ape will think whatever I want him to think. Him down. Maybe you better wait in the next room till I talk to him. Oh, all right. Chester, is that you? Hello, Mom. Mom, listen, I... I know, I... son. The lieutenant phoned me. Oh, I disgraced you. I can't stand it, Mom. Now, now, you can't fool me. I know what's really worrying you. It's that girl, Peggy. Yeah, she's... Why should I care about her? Why, Chester... She don't mean a thing to me. Sonny, you don't mean that. Yes, I do. Why should I care about her? Boy, is she homely. You'll be sorry you said that. And not only that, she's stupid. Chester... She don't mean a thing to me. Why, if she was here right now, I'd tell her what I really think of her. Chester... Oh, Peggy, take me back. <laughs> Even if I am homely and stupid, I love you. <laughs> got the ice cream. Oh, good. I'll serve it, dear. Well, Al, did Peg tell you the kind of a cop I was? Yes, I uh, heard all about it, Mr. Riley. Take my advice, Al. You joined the force, and if you're half the cop I was... Riley, you, uh, I told him about the baby in Papa's store. You, uh, you, you told him the truth? Everything. What a revolting development this is. <laughs> To hear the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. The script is by Reuben Shep and Alan Lipscott. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. Mr. Barker is Alan Reed. Riley's mother is Jane Morgan. Al is Eddie Firestone. And the lieutenant is Pat McGeehan. The life of Riley is produced and directed by Irving Brecker. Ken Carpenter reminding you that for radiantly clean, lovely hair, get the shampoo in the tube. P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. And listen again next week when Prell brings you The Life of Riley. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Johnny Dollar, followed by the Bickersons. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.